Okay. Oh. okay. Uh, decidedly informal. Listen, first of all, thank you for doing this. Mm. It, it will come as no surprise to you that uh, Dole said, okay, fine, we'll do an oral history project, and my name can be on it, but I want it to be about more than me, and uh, which is great because it's a chance to take a look using sort of the events of his public life, especially, and, and trace the evolution, some would say degeneration, of this town and, and the political process and, and particularly the Senate, you know. And, and, and obviously, you know, you had a unique position and front row seat in the first Bush presidency <clears throat> to, to see that particular relationship, which I think, I'm not trying to prejudge or prejudice what you say, but I, I sense was a relationship that turned out to be much closer, much more professionally productive than some people might have predicted in the spring of 1988. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> but let's back up. First, tell us how you got to that place. I mean, I know some of it, but... but well, actually, uh, uh, my getting to that place was... Resulted in many ways of what I had done previously, uh, and actually during a time frame when I first got to know Senator Bob Doe. Hmm. Um, I worked for John Tower in the twice in my political career and uh, public service career, and the second time was in 1983. Uh, so I came back to D.C. as as uh, Tower's legislative director. Uh, at the time, Senator Doe was, um, uh, I guess, then maybe he wasn't he wasn't a leader yet. So chairman of was, finance. I think Howard was still was was leader, and Bob was over chairman of finance. Yeah. Uh, during that time frame, I guess then Bob became uh, leader. Somewhere in the eighty, it was right after the eighty four. Right after the eighty four. Right. And the reason that's important is because, uh, at least according to my conversation and my relationship with him, uh, in nineteen eighty four, right after the Republican convention, I moved uh, to the Justice Department. But in the beginning of nineteen eighty five, I joined the Reagan White House as one of the people who lobbied the Senate. And and at the time, Bob was then the new majority leader, and we were in the process as well of putting together tax reform. Uh, so during the two years that I worked for President Reagan, uh, Bob was in the leadership, Backwood was running the Finance Committee now, and we went through this whole big deal having to do with tax reform. Finance Committee was one of the committees that I had responsibility for amongst the team that lobbied the Senate. And as such... Um, I can, got I, can I back up one moment and yeah. just mm-hmm. ask you what your sense is first of the of the Dole Tower relationship? Uh, my sense of the Dole Tower relationship actually was that it was very good. Uh, uh, I don't remember sort of any times that that you know they had major conflict uh, during John's leadership of the of the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, I'm pretty confident that he and Bob worked well together. I remember, however, going back even earlier than that, both John and Bob were up for re-election in 1978 and to their Senate seats. And I was with John in Wichita Falls, Texas, 
uh, can't remember the name of the forlorn hotel in which we stayed, but that election, uh, uh, John won by less than a tenth of one percent in his race against Bob Kruger. And we did not know when we went to bed on election night whether or not he would be reelected. Uh, and I have a little sidebar in that. Little did I know that when I heard him talking to, how, how real this was when he was talking to his daughters before we went out to claim the election, and he said to them that that was the last time he was going to put them through uh, an election like that. Uh, should have been a forewarning for what later happened when he really came through and said, I'm not running for election, which is kind of kind of shocking. Anyway, Bob called that night because Bob was had a slam dunk uh, victory, if you will, in re-election in Kansas, and I was in, in, in John's room when Bob called to to say uh, congratulations to John. So I think, I think yeah. there's a, you know, it wasn't Bob Doe calling to, you know, gather votes to run for leader. Uh, that wasn't uh, uh, none of those things. It was, I think, a true reflection of the relationship that he and Tower had, uh, and that uh, that was that I think is sort of special. And, and so, and, and they and they served together in the Congress during a time frame, both when Bob was in the House, and then when he later came to the Senate and joined Tower and others. Um, uh, they served during a time frame where, and I and there are a number of factors that I that I attribute to this, but a time frame when there was much greater comity, uh, much greater uh, uh, sense of, of even, even with the, the, the differences in, in the numbers of people in the parties uh, or the party distribution of the Republicans and Democrats, uh, there were sort of some issues that always sort of went, they, they worked overboard, if you will, to be able to try to make stuff happen. So, you know, for, for example, Bob... John Tower and Barry Goldwater had an excellent relationship with Henry Jackson, I mean, with, uh, with Scoop Jackson. I mean, those are the kinds of relationships, I think, that were, that made up the individuals who served in the Congress, even in both the House and the Senate, frankly, at that time, uh, that allowed, uh, I think, some things to get done. I would make an argument that one of the greatest things about the follow-on to the Reagan election in 1980 was that even though that, that that was probably our best time of governing, which is why I think tax reform, for example, came ultimately to fruition and some of the other things that happened in that 80 to 86 time frame. <clears throat> you had a situation where Republicans controlled the Senate, though not by a significant margin. You had a Republican in the White House who was fairly popular. And you had about 190 or so House Republicans at that point in time. But there was a big glob of 60 or 70 uh, yellow dog, sort of, uh, I mean, uh, blue dog Democrats uh, who sort of made up the middle. And as a result, you could actually get stuff done because you could sort of have a backstop over in the Senate, but then you could bring people to the table. And I think that that was a good collaborative period. Bob Doe was very good at that. Well, and, all, and my sense is, it's interesting, that um, sort of he woke up one morning, to some degree stunned like a lot of other Republicans, um, at their good fortune. And, and the second thought was, geez, you know, now we're responsible, which means we better act responsible. <laughs> and, and, and for Dole, who I think was still sort of chafing under some of the bad reviews he got as a result of 76, 
all of a sudden he had an opportunity in a very substantive way to demonstrate to people what he could do. Yeah, and I, and I, I think he did that. I, I remember distinctly when tax reform was just, you know, or, or some other major issues that I might have had responsibility for uh, was like going off, the, uh, going off into the ditch. Bob would like bring the leadership of the folks who, who mattered into his office and basically, you know, go in there, tell them they got to get something done, then leave them in there and, and then walk out. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, okay, settle it. It's kind of like, you know, having kids try to settle some sort of dispute. You guys, we're going to do something, so, like, make it happen. And then he'd just cruise in and out of those rooms uh, uh, where he'd have these meetings going on, you know, pushing all the chess pieces. That's one of the, that's, in fact, I think that probably Bob was at his best when he was in those circumstances where he had a lot of stuff going on and he had uh, a lot of balls in the air that he was juggling. And uh, I think it was during those time frames that, that he really, really uh, shined uh, or he would really shine. And then he could be a real pain when he came to a situation when he wasn't busy. Because <laughs> then he'd look for, <laughs> he'd call, had, well, really forward. If in, uh, so as a result of that time frame that I worked for President Reagan, even though I had met him, President Bush, on, uh, uh, on, on uh, inaugural day in Texas in 1979, uh, because of John Tower, uh, Anyway, when I got to when I got came back to work for Tower in the '80s, and ultimately went to the White House, needless to say, I began to spend more time around the guy who was Vice President of the United States, primarily because he used to come up to Congress a whole lot, the Senate a whole lot, because we had all these close votes where we thought we might need his vote. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, the Vice President at that time uh, participated in our lobbying process. Oftentimes, we'd get him to. to physically cajole people or call folks. Anyway, I got to know... Was he good at that? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he was He, he was good at that. Um, and I think the primary reason was because he had been a member of the body uh, and having been in Congress previously, I think that gave him sort of a... And, and plus he had some relationships which, which, which were, were deep, and so there was, you know, some folks we'd use him for. Um, and oftentimes, particularly, that was done at the behest of, of Dole. I mean, we're in a process. He and Simpson would be, uh, which I thought were a great team, and and Al Simpson's one of my dearest friends. Uh, I think really cool guy. Those those two had an interesting relationship that worked beautifully, uh, in terms of making the trains run on time in the why, Senate. Why do you think it worked so well? Again, I think institutionally they'd been around. They, you know, they're sort of from the same generation, and they had been around in this body, and they both were 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 the kinds of guys who wanted to make the system work. And so as such, I think that made them, made them uh, work well together. Two, I think from a value standpoint, even though there were a couple of issues where, where Bob and, and Al had different philosophical views, but it never sort of strained their relationship. Right. And there were a couple of issues. Um, they really sort of had, they were similarly valued, I think, even though Al's from a little bit further west, uh, 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 when you take sort of the Midwestern characteristics that, that Bob brought to the table and couple that with sort of the Western independent values of a guy like Al Simpson, uh, you put together, I think, a great working team. And, uh, you know, and, you know and, and 
coupled with the fact that Al's always got something funny to say to sort of break the ice and stuff, and you just absolutely love it. In fact, he was one of my biggest, he was always one of my biggest challenges when we had White House meetings when I worked for, for Bush, because if Al was down there, I knew at some point he was going to grab the president and pull him aside and have some funny to tell him, and, uh, you know, totally disrupt meetings. So, so. <laughs> Did, did you sense, I'm trying to sort of trace the origins of when all this happened. I'm sure it was gradual. But um, even then, sort of a maybe a, 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 at least the seeds of a, of a divide between that leadership and what we'll call, for lack of a better word, sort of younger Turks or, or more ideologically fervent uh, conservatives. Um, of course, you know, eventually well, you see, Simpson had, would fall. I had. I had a number of, <clears throat> I, I guess it was beginning to develop. You know, one of, one, of the th- one of the, as we speak now in 2007, one of the things that has been um, sort of an issue after the House changed back, uh, after having been in the wilderness for 40 years before that, uh, and, this, and, 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 and why I was not as worried about the Senate becoming a minority, um, Republicans becoming a minority in the Senate. I was more worried about the House because most, a lot of the guys in the House had never experienced being in the minority. So this is just a totally, like, unknown thing. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, the Bainers of the world were like, you know, the guys we befriended when I worked in the White House because nobody else would talk to them. <laughs> and they were newly elected members, mm-hmm. members of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the House. And they understand that. Uh, they may be frustrated, but they understood it. I think the seeds probably the seeds probably were beginning to develop in the in the in the in that uh, probably eighty five eighty six sort of time frame. I think it was driven by a lot of things that were going on, and I, I sort of alluded to this a few minutes ago. All of a sudden, we like now have cameras. In the United States Senate, which was not something uh, that was that was uh, the case, you know, we've got you know C-SPAN coming of age and Brian Lamb doing the work that he was doing there that was sort of like nobody else kind of cared about. <laughs> mm. uh, we we when you when you when you realize that you know Nightline had just begun as a result after after the pres- after President Reagan had become uh, elected in 1980. Uh, and so you sort of had this new thing, new phenomenon going on. You had a little CNN action, but you hadn't had any Fox action. So all of these, all of these media-related things were taking place. And heaven forbid we hadn't gotten to YouTube and all that stuff yet. Mm. But all these other media things were taking place, which then sort of like gave outlet to something broader than what was happening on the four on the three networks and you know what was in the print newspapers every day and, you know i remember handling issues at the white house for example like the thomas nomination for example the supreme court and the only thing i cared about was what where, where our story was placed each day in the three networks and maybe cnn it's a totally different world now right. and so i think that that began to contribute now when you take that and you take sort of the movement a conservative movement that sort of President Reagan is credited yeah. for. Uh, you sort of had this 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 thing going on, which I think 
began, and I'm not being critical, but I think it began to sort of harden the lines and it made it more difficult to be cooperative because you were trying so hard to be true to whatever those principles were. Like, you know, I will not, you know, no new taxes pledges forced by club for growth or organizations like that. And, and so now you were getting folks being, you know, it's kind of our time Republicans. And so we're going to sort of carve out our niche and by golly, we're going to stay true to the course, which is why again, people like Bob and Al and even Packwood, to some extent, were beginning to catch some heat during the tax reform days because you guys are like, you know, not cutting the capital gains tax and eliminating it totally or getting rid of a state tax or some of those issues where, as a practical matter, you can't do it that way. Because you'd never get it, you'd never get it passed. Because now you have to have sixty votes, even. So yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's funny. The longer I'm in this town, the more I think, and it's of a gross oversimplification. But in the end, more than anything else, the single sort of determining factor is generational. And the fact is, there was this whole new generation. You know, just as you know, forty years earlier, or well, twenty years earlier, um, Dole had been part of the revolt that got rid of Charlie Halleck. You know, and put Jerry Ford yeah. in his place. Yeah. Okay. Then, you know, maybe it's just 20 years. Maybe it's Arthur Schlesinger's 20-year cycle. But, but by the mid-'80s, you're right. Ronald Reagan had redefined, in many ways, what it meant to be a Republican. Right. Unlike Barry Goldwater. Unlike Barry Goldwater. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you had this generation of, I mean, I think of Trent Watt. We were talking to Senator Watt. Huh. You know, this notion of Watt and all of his folks who came over from the House. And there's a very different climate there, and they brought that with them to the Senate. And there was bound to be, it was, it's a cultural yeah. clash, yeah. more almost than an ideological Yeah, because clash. you had these guys, Trent and those guys, and Newt in the House, were those guys who were like, you know, having to throw bombs from the back bench. And, uh, in fact, the first budget compromise that we did during the uh, Bush administration, which, you know, Bob helped us get through, get to, uh, we the first one failed because Newt and some of the guys in the House refused to go along with it because of some principles. As a result, we ended up having to give away more in the second round after, after you know, hanging out at uh, Andrews. But this is you know we were like accused of almost being blasphemous as a result of the fact that we tried to sit down with Rostenkowski and try to cut a deal <laughs> to try to like, and we got things like child care reform and we got some other stuff, a nice uh, parental leave package, some stuff in there. It was really nice and nice conservative ways about going about doing things, but we lost it because our guys walked on us. And then when the Democrats knew that they had us, we had to go back and as a result, <clears throat> revenue enhancement took place. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as tax increases. So, you know. How much, huge question, but I mean, to what extent was there, I mean, I, we did the C-SPAN broadcast on Bush a couple, couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was great, months. by the way. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I was, well done. He called me. Did he good? He called me afterwards. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, incredibly gracious. Yeah. But, you know, you're, you're sort of watching your words. You know, you don't want to say anything too stupid. Uh, but it... it it, it does seem that one of the toughest acts in politics is John Sununu called it a friendly takeover. But, I mean, the fact is, from day one, there were people who were gauging, you know, Bush's loyalty, you know, to the, to the Reagan, not only to the Reagan 
agenda, whatever that was, yeah. after he left office. But you know, how Reagan was president, how Reagan, and, 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 and I'm wondering to what extent that was a factor. In, the only in, thing I think that made, the only thing that in, in my view sort of really made it a, a friendly takeover was the fact that we didn't have to worry about whether or not the you know, W's were taking off of the computer keyboards um, when we arrived. Put another way, we had a situation that existed such that we had the luxury of some folks being able to stay in place. Uh, now, you kind of got to look at it two ways. You have one situation, which is vice president, the vice president, then president-elect and ultimately president, had some of his people sprinkled about government as well. Sure. Uh, uh, and everybody didn't up and leave at the end of the Reagan administration. So, in other words, we could kind of keep the doors open and sort of start moving down the track. Um, and ultimately, had some great early successes. I mean, all of a sudden, we didn't have to worry about funding for troops down in Central America. We cut a deal and got it done, and that was no longer an issue. We had some cabinet issues, confirmation issues, but uh, again, we had some luxury there because we had people in place who could continue to serve. I assume Dole thought Tower got a raw deal. I'm going to assume that he did, too. Uh, Bob voted for him uh, and worked very hard for him. Yeah. And... And, you know, needless to say, if, if I were to point to my biggest disappointment in my three years that I served uh, the president, uh, my, my biggest disappointment was, was, was uh, John Tower not being confirmed as Secretary of Defense. Uh, is there, should, looking back, is there anything that could have been done that would have produced a different result? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And the reason I don't I, I don't think so is, you know, because Lloyd Benson was out in front for him as a former colleague. Chris Dodd was out in front for him. Uh, there were other Democrats. I think this sort of lot was cast when um, sort of Sam Nunn made the determination that uh, John Tower would not be confirmed. I think that had something to do with the Nunn-Tower relationship. Was um, that a pre-existing condition? A pre-existing condition, I think, arising from uh, from uh, uh, John's service as uh, uh, Armed Services Committee Chairman, and when when uh, Sam was on the minority side, and I think it goes back to that. And so, once that that sort of line was drawn in the sand, it was it was it was sort of one of those things where where it it. Um, was going to be very difficult to accomplish because Sam called in the chips, his chips on it, right. chits on it. I mean, um, and I think one of the other reasons was, was, you know, Democrats had taken over control of the both houses of Congress, um, and I think it was one of those things where Sam didn't want somebody over at the uh, Defense Department. Someone who, by the way, who had run, I mean, John, when John served as chairman of the Armed Services Committee, he kind of ran roughshod. I mean, it was kind of like, he, he yeah. might have been a little guy, but it was kind of like, okay, we got, you know, they, so so it's not meant that he denied the minority things, it's just that he ran it with a pretty firm grasp. And, so there was know, an element of was, payback. It was, yeah, there was an element of payback, you know, and, and President Reagan had told him he wanted a whatever ship, 100 ship Navy we were looking for at that period of time. John Tower said, I do it. And it's just all of us to it. Yeah. Uh, it was our time. Uh, so anyway, I think that there was a, a sort of that factor going on, coupled with the fact that I don't believe Sam wanted somebody over at the Defense Department who knew as much about the inner workings of 
of the Senate and how they got there as he did. Ultimately, he got a guy named Cheney. So, then the rest is history. <laughs> I want to go back and clear up one thing. And what's your sense of the Reagan Dole relationship, uh, particularly during that second term? Because um, obviously Dole had never been a supply sider. He was a good soldier. Yeah, he was a great and, soldier. Um, uh, I, I, my suspicion is that they, and this is, this, now I'm, I'm sort of guessing at this, this part. Uh, my suspicion is that they probably had a cordial relationship. Um, I know that Dole worked very well with the legislative affairs shop that I was a part of at the time um, uh, because, you know, oftentimes we, other than stuff that we picked up uh, as people who are in communications with members of Congress every day, which is kind of part of our job, uh, we were often guided by the leadership. And so, you know, often Bob or Al would say, okay, and or they would do it in consultation, uh, you know, and if it was, say, on tax reform, you know, I'd get a phone call. Fred, get the president to call so-and-so, you know. And so, and then we'd go through our normal administrative process to make that decision or to get that done. I suspect that they had a cordial relationship. My suspicion is that his relationship with Bush was closer even after uh, the run for the presidency. And I wonder if that's because, in part, you you know, there were so many people in Washington who were baffled by Reagan. Bob McFarlane had the classic line, which wasn't meant unkindly. It was literally, uh, I mean, head-scratching. He said, he knows so little and accomplishes so much. And to a politician, Ronald Reagan wasn't. There was nothing conventional about no, Ronald true. Reagan. That's true. He wasn't a typical politician. Yeah. He didn't approach the presidency with a typical incremental kind of viewpoint. Um, he was a with a small R, radical conservative in many ways. Radical meaning get to the root of. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that George Bush was, a, in many ways, a more traditional yes, conservative. Yes, yeah. Yeah, right. and, and, and yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Uh, uh, and, so, and, and I think Doe fits more into the Bush mold than he fit into the Reagan mold, yeah. and it, and I, it wasn't about economics. It wasn't right. about it wasn't about social issues. Uh, you know, sort of the two pieces that defined, or the, you know, I, well, look, it's generational. They were both in the war. Yeah, they'd both been through the political wars. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and they could both. You know, they'd both been in the house, including the been, Nixon political wars. Exactly. <laughs> so they, yeah. they, I mean, they they've been there. So Do you a, have a theory? I mean, I, I, you know, to explain the Dole-Nixon relationship, I mean, after 72, when Dole really was sort of tossed aside, yeah. you know? And yet, I'm telling you, to the end of his life and beyond, I think if there's anyone for whom Dole had, I won't call it hero worship, but it's close. It was Richard I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a feel for that, but, you know, I distinctly remember during the time frame that we were were uh, doing most favored nation trading status, no, it was it was either most favored nation trading status for China, or we were dealing with the with the uh, 
fall out. I, I guess what happened is that the most favored trade, most favored nation trading status issue was happening at about the same time as Tiananmen Square. That's what it was. Yeah. And so all of this stuff was going on in such a, a fashion that we really, really didn't think we were going to get uh, uh, the votes that we needed to, to get most favored nation trading status. And, you know, Dole, like, said McClure, you need to get Jerry Ford on the phone, you need to get Richard Dick Nixon on the phone, and he even told me sort of like which people to have them to call. So, I mean, his respect for President Nixon, even as late as 1989, uh, and uh, having a feel for who Nixon could perhaps influence uh, in the Senate, I, and same thing with Ford, is absolutely remarkable. Of course, I took my marching orders and did exactly as I was told. <laughs> so, did it work? And it worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. In <laughs> fact, at the, at the opening of the, uh, of the uh, uh, Bush Library, uh, ten years ago, uh, and President Ford was there. It, was, I, it gave me the opportunity to thank him one more time yeah. for, for, for making those phone calls. And it was because uh, I remember writing. I said when I first first wrote him to send him a thank you note. It's like, you know, Mr. President, I'm your built. I'm I'm the guy who was Bill Timmons for you. And then I started <laughs> dying that bad. And anyway, our relationship went back further than that. Though, but he, he it was very nice of him to both of them to help. But going back to Doe, Doe in tort in part of like orchestrating this. You know, I have no earthly idea how Doe felt one way or another about most favored nation trading status for China, and it really doesn't matter. Uh, it was like the it was the decision of sort of the administration to move in this direction, and Bob was a great loyal soldier. Now, the other thing about Doe, which I really, really, really admired about him, uh, and continued in, in his role, was that if something wasn't going to like work and he knew it wasn't going to work because of our inability to get the votes for it uh, he was very upfront about you know calling up and saying we got to change this this is not going to happen uh, uh, and unless we sort of give here and there you know we're not going to be able to hobble together the votes that we need uh, to be able to be successful uh, and you know and this is him operating in a role when he's minority leader and operating in a role when, you know, George Mitchell and Dick Gephardt are out to just, you know, end Republicanism as we knew it. Despite the niceties that were expressed yes. on the public side, <laughs> there was other stuff going on behind closed doors. It, it's very frustrating was, uh, with Mitchell, wasn't it? And, and, and I, it did, yes, it became frustrating and I did not expect it to be that way. And I don't think originally the president expected it to be that way. Uh, in, in, in no small measure, I think, because it's sort of like the main thing. Sure. Uh, and uh, they'd known each other a long time, or a fairly long time. Of course, you know, Mitchell rose very quickly in in politics. Uh, but uh, George got to be difficult to work with. Now, I don't know whether the difficulty of working with him stemmed from the fact of what was happening within his caucus. Could very well have been. And he was trying to react to it, as Pelosi and Reed are having to react to theirs to, mm. to the, in this in this time, or as our guys had to react. Mm. Um, so, but Mitchell was Mitchell was a was a uh, he did not come across as being political 
o o overtly political, but he was an extremely <laughs> political guy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess when I say political, I'm moving more toward the use of the word partisan than I am using, yeah. you know, because all the government is politics, so yeah. we can't deny that. Sure. But it's, it's a question as to whether or not it gets to be so partisan that you begin. So again, this was again something we were talking about a few minutes ago. That was sort of the beginning of that. And, you know, we in the, in the, we're, we're in a difficult position because we had neat control of neither House of Congress. Uh, the margin was fairly decent in the, house, in the, in the uh, uh, Senate. Uh, but we had to, like, threaten veto all over the place and had to exercise vetoes all over the place. Mm. Uh, in fact, 23 during my watch, all mm. of which were sustained. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the next one, after I left, he got beat. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the whole, the whole process that we had to go through in terms of making that happen and dealing with the leadership in the House and the Senate uh, was was our leadership in the House and the Senate uh, made it uh, made it a little bit of a challenge, uh, and you know we had, I guess Bob was Michael was, Bob was was leader and Trent had had risen to replace Dick uh, over in the House, but but Newt was rapidly rising. I'll get to that in a minute. To back up, in 88, were you in the campaign? Were you in the Bush campaign? Or were you still at the White House? Uh, actually, no. I was in the private sector. In the private sector. Okay. Private sector. So I was sort of in the money-raising mood. Yes. <laughs> now, 88, I mean, again, it's it's all the more remarkable, their later comedy, um, and I think real friendship that developed. Certainly, certainly mutual respect, given the, the bitterness not too strong a word of that '88 campaign. Um, it did. It got I mean, to be. What, what, I mean, what, what were your recollections of that of that period? Were you were you involved at all, or um, what, no? Really, what I was not. I just I, I just we just done some fundraising kinds of things, but no, yeah. I was not involved in uh, uh, the campaign uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, um, but I was watching it. Rather yeah. intently, yeah, uh, and yeah, you know, I was a, and I was a public supporter of the vice presidents, and so, yeah. which didn't have anything to do with Bob. It's sure, just sure. That he was a guy I'd been working for, and you know, yeah. uh, I wondered so, because anyway. there there are a couple. And of, I'd supported him back in '79 and '82. <laughs> well, so uh, was, <laughs> there, I mean, there there are moments in that campaign when you really get sort of a glimpse of the old doll, but more than that. The old. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I talked to Walter Mondale earlier this week in Minneapolis. We had a delightful conversation. Uh, and I said to him at one point, I said, Mr. Vice President, I've been wanting to ask you this for 30 years. I said, when you were in that debate, oh. and, and, he, and he brought up Democrat wars, did you say, thank you, Lord? <laughs> you know? Oh, that's great. And, and, he, and he told me, he said, actually, it <coughs> came up in our preparation. Someone said, don't be surprised if Bob Dole blames World War II on Democrats. <laughs> and Mondale says, you know, we politicians, we're not very smart. He says, we get our applause lines and we recycle them <laughs> over and over, and over again. Yeah. And that's, you know. Uh, um, but anyway, I wondered, th but the, the thing was the cultural division. I mean, the, the sense of Bob Dole, I mean, I mean, it became uh, obviously a subject for laughter on Saturday Night Live. I mean, self, the parody about, you know. <laughs> Bob Doe didn't have swimming pool. Bob Doe didn't have, the, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this. Yeah. I mean, the notion of Dole as this, you know, poor kid from the Dust Bowl, you know, and almost implicit in the Iowa one of us, 
-hmm. is more than geography. It's a cultural yeah. affinity. Yeah. And obviously trying to caricature on the other side, the vice president is the blue blood from Kitty Bunkport. How much of that was in the background, at least, in the relationship maybe early on? My, my sense is it went away, but it was... My sense, is, my, sense, my sense is that if, 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 if that was a major factor, um, I did not sense any hangover of it when I, you know, January 21st, and I started work uh, representing the president. Um, early on after, and I... I the public records probably will will indicate this somewhere, but there was a window where they sort of got together and sort of, for lack of a better word, sort of had their first meeting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, for some reason, I think it was something we did. Some they did something down at the White House or maybe up at the VP's mansion. I can't remember where it was, and and, and the records will indicate it somewhere. But they sort of buried the hatchet, maybe. Was that a one-on-one -on -one meeting a or an event? I, I think it was. No, well, no, I think it was either a one-on-one -on -one or it may have been the four of them. I'm not sure, and I and my mm. memory is is, yeah. is not clear on that. So, but anyway, they kind of got together, and because and by the way, course, you had this complicating or potentially complicating factor in John Sununu's presence correct. as chief of staff. I mean, correct. clearly. Correct. <laughs> Dole could have always, you know, Correct. Re, re, reprogrammed, <laughs> reprojected his anger away from the president. It was onto easy. The, the it was original easy. lightning rod. It, was, it was easy for him to do that. What is it about New and Hampshire governors that, that the, from Sherman Adams to, that they make <laughs> wonderful lightning two, rods? Uh, you know? Yeah, that that was now that was an interesting relationship. But I'm I'm uh, uh, anyway back to you know, let's go back let's go back to this this interim right before things yeah. got started. And then, of course, Elizabeth was named to the cabinet. So now we sort of have complicated the situation. Maybe it wasn't so much a, a situation of complicating it, but maybe it was actually, frankly, a situation that sort of calmed things, too. Sure. Uh, and so I think that uh, it was valuable. And, and, it was, and it is backing up. It is not that Elizabeth was not qualified, but she was qualified to serve in the cabinet. She just served in the cabinet. So you're yeah. just kind of moving from one department to the other. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, so you, anyway. you don't sense there was any campaign on their part for that. No, I don't. I do not sense that there was any campaign on their part. I think, see, that was one of the, and you, when you kind of compare this President Bush to the other President Bush, to the current President Bush, mine, 41, was in this situation where he, hell, he'd been in government almost all his life. So he had the ability to, to sort of pick people from various parts of his life to come serve in the cabinet. Uh, where if you look at this this current President Bush and look at the cabinet that he put together, he barely knew half of them. And they only knew them because they served as governors at the same time. And he didn't participate in all the governor stuff. So, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. So he, he didn't necessarily... George Bush, on the other hand, 41st, surrounded himself with folks that actually, maybe with an exception or two, were folks that he'd either been serving with, he'd known them a long time, He'd seen him in the last eight years when he'd been vice president, uh, uh, and so it was a, it was a, a sort of a different scenario created there, uh, you know, whether it's Elizabeth or, or uh, 
uh, Derwinski. I mean, you know, mm. you know, mm. you, you had a you had a you had a wide swath of people that he had, you know, and then you had Jack Kemp, and so it was a whole nother experience, and so, and then you got you know Dan Quayle. So we got all these dynamics going on, and and if if Bob didn't have Bob didn't have to have stuff to direct at the president because there were all these other people he could direct stuff at if he needed to vent and frustrate. Um, and, you know, when he sensed that stuff was going on, it was one of the, this is one of my most favorite things about him when he served as leader, uh, when he sensed that there might be stuff going on that behind his back, if you will, with members of the Senate, uh, that was a deviation from what the president might have been pursuing or uh, one of those situations where uh, he knew that it wasn't going to fly. Bob was not at all averse to picking up the phone and calling me and telling me. And there were indeed times when I got Bob to call the president. So, I mean, it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was when, I, when I needed to communicate a message that perhaps was not getting through as clearly as I wanted to get through because of other voices on the staff who thought they had their fingers on the pulse of what was happening in the Congress because of the one person that they knew on Capitol Hill. So, uh, oftentimes, I would initiate the conversation with Dole, and it would be, you know, later, blah, blah, blah. He's going to like, I can't believe it. You want me to call president? Yes. <laughs> and so he would. And so it was, it was, it was a, we developed a great relationship. I'm going to reel forward and tell you another story. It's a, this, this one, is 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 so funny. Look, it brings back great memories. In the, I moved back to Texas in in like early '92, February of '92, and reestablished a relationship with the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And the president, after he was defeated in in uh, uh, the election in '92, moved to Houston, which people thought he wasn't ever going to do. But he did. Hmm. So he moved to his house in Houston. And I had reestablished, I said, reestablished my relationship. I was a member of the board of the board of directors of the show. And so I called up the president and said, you know, you want to go to the rodeo? And he goes, yeah. And so we make a plan to go to the rodeo. And whew, I've forgotten what the issue is that Doe was working on. But... Dole had called, Dole and the president had had a conversation about getting the president to place some phone calls to get some votes on some issues. Okay, that's basically it. So the president and I are sitting in this cafeteria. They used to say, people aren't bothering us, which is not, not is, is good. Mm. And we're sitting at this table, even though people just dying to, to come up and say something to him. Uh, <laughs> and his cell phone rings. And he opens, he looks and he goes like, it's Bob Dole. And so he, he, he gets, he get, they get on the phone, they have some conversation, they're joking, kidding and stuff. And as apparently the president was caught, was then reporting on whatever it was Bob had asked him to do. And so then uh, uh, <laughs> President Bush says, Bob, you wouldn't believe who's sitting here with me. I got McClure. And so, so well, put him on. So I get on and I start talking to Bob and later, how you doing? He goes, McClure, he still can't count votes worth a damn. <laughs> it was great. He said, some things never change. I said, well, he's out of that business now. <laughs> but it was great. I, 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 have a, I have a great deal of affection for him. 
Um, how did you formulate, I mean, what was the process by which, okay, the administration decides, these are our priorities, this is what we need to do. Uh, I mean, how do you communicate that with one voice, I guess? Uh, <laughs> one to, voice is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> very difficult. To, to know. And, and then sort of a portion or devise the strategy by which you're going to obtain this. Well, well let me, let me, different administrations go about it in different ways. We had a number of major issues that we sort of had to tackle or wanted to tackle. We had American with disabilities. The president made a commitment during the, during the campaign regarding disabilities. And presumably that's something that would have really been close to Dole's heart. Wait, wait, yeah. Yes, it was. And yes, he was an activist in that in terms of, of, of what happened. Uh, uh, we had made a commitment in terms of the environment, and so the president was moving forward on clean air legislation. Um, like I said, we got rid of the, we took care of, those are sort of like the first two major initiatives. Um, and a question, just yeah. because how much flack did you take from sort of organized conservatives? I mean, whether in the business community or the kind of quasi-libertarian, you know, growing element in, in those, the party. In those two issues? That, that, that thought, <laughs> hey, wait a second, this is, not, this is not Ronald Reagan's third term, you know? I mean, uh, I'll, let the, I'll let the press coverage and historians, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we got a lot. Yeah. Uh, and some of it was sort of under the, under the radar. Uh, folks weren't like, you know, jumping up and being mean yet, but, you know, it, it, it caused a, we got more flack for when we cut the budget deal than we did, I think, when we were working on clean, and it took us a couple of years to get clean air and, and ADA done, too. Uh, you know, one of the, the guy who had been the president's uh, uh, counsel, both his vice president and his president, Boyden Gray, played a very active role, in, a very active role in the ADA piece of it. He played an active role in clean air, but bigger role in ADA. Hmm. Uh, you know, Michael Boskin and and uh, Bill Riley and and our domestic policy guy uh, Roger Porter sort of took the lead on the on the clean air thing, but it was in conjunction with EPA, and and you know we 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 also developed those things in conjunction with the leadership or our leadership yeah. on the hill. Yeah. Uh, and we sort of ultimately had to get bipartisan. I mean, ADA was a whole lot easier to get done than clean air. Because you had you started pitting regions against regions of the country, industries against each other. Mm. You know, whether you're talking cafe standards versus emissions and trading knocks and socks and all those kinds of things, all of those wonderful issues that were a part of that this debate. Um, since Dole stayed regularly in contact with the guys who 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 led his committees, or who were his guys on the committees. Uh, uh, you know that was we in, we tried to include them in our process because ultimately the president can't just go lay out a piece of legislation as you know somebody's got to go do it for him, mm -hmm. and so ultimately we had to get the the you know the, the appropriate folks in the House and the Senate to be our be our water carriers if you will to to do the legislation. So, and then we sort of just worked it through the process. Uh, remember, we didn't control the calendar. It's interesting, I'm and then, and then and then you had all these other things that happened that we didn't have control over, the Tiananmen Square sure. and, and all that other kind of stuff that you... We trying to get a sense of, of Dole, would, would Dole... Would oh, he, and, we, and the other piece, let me know, get yeah. Dole, the other piece that you have to put into that equation is the fact that budgets and all that kind of stuff had already been sort of worked up by the Reagan predecessor, and we sort of inherited part of it, tweaked it a little bit, and then dumped it back on Capitol Hill and started the appropriations process. Now, Dole, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say... 
what kinds of roles would Dole play? I mean, in terms of would there be um, beyond traffic cop uh, or say you got to or conductor? You, you get, well, <laughs> all right. It depends on which yeah. one you are. You, yeah. you know, you got to worry about this guy, or you know, you got to you got to do this to get this vote or whatever. Would he ever suggest? Well, maybe you want to, to use your term tweak the legislation. Um, I mean, w- would there be that kind of substantive we didn't, we didn't feedback? Or? We didn't generally get that deep into the weeds. Uh, if he needed to sort of, if he felt that that was sort of like where it needed to be, I think Bob took care of it through the, through the mechanics of the Senate. He didn't necessarily uh, 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 do that sort of on our end. Uh uh, but presumably, keep, obviously, it, keeping the White House informed. Yeah, over, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, Sheila Burke and, and, and uh, Jim Whittinghill and it, all the guys who worked for Doe. Yeah. You know, we all had great relationships uh, with them as well. Tell us about the staff. Because, you know, often in, in projects like this, those are the, pe- the people that get left out. But, but clearly... No, no. Sheila, as his chief of staff, uh, was, was, you know, I'd known her for a long time. But, I mean, Sheila was awesome. Uh and, and you got to realize we were also sort of doing some healthcare related stuff in there, which, by the way, professionally was her background, and so yeah. she contributed. She contributed greatly to to that part of the debate as we got into some healthcare issues. Um, uh, Witt was one of these types of people who understood uh, the workings of the floor extremely well, plus the House, since he'd been a House staffer, and so he brought an interesting wealth to the table. Uh, uh, and on top of that, uh, God, what's his name? Who was Bob's uh, uh, press guy? Walt. Walt Riker. Walt Riker. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Walt also. See, lots of coordination was going on. You got Walt mm. talking to me only because we'd known each other for ages and, and sort of the process. But Walt was also communicating with Fitzwater and the guys in the in the in, in the press secretary shop. So we, we had a lot of coordination going on, and that's what you that's what you sort of sometimes don't see behind the scenes. You know, uh, Sheila would just as soon communicate a message to me as Bob would. Uh, I never presumed that Sheila was speaking for somebody other than Bob. It, yeah. me, put another way, if I heard from them, either of the three of them, and I, you know, and I spent time up there as well. If I heard from either of the three of them, I sort of knew that. This is what Bob was thinking. Uh, or there would be conversations to the effect of, well, we think he may be thinking this now, but we think he's going to probably end up here. You know, we're still in that process. Now, I alluded to this very early on, and I may get uh, 50 lashes for saying this, but it was, remember I mentioned how Bob was, I thought was at his finest when there was a lot of stuff like going on and he had all these balls he was juggling. There were also times when there was nothing going on, and he was terrorizing the staff, and <laughs> Sheila would call, and she'd go, if you don't find something for him to do down there at the White House, send him on a trip. <laughs> Put him on an airplane. Just get him out of our hair. He's yeah. driving us crazy. Uh, <laughs> so, I find that totally incredible. Oh, uh, yes. That's uh, that's. Which, so I, which, then I try to make up something. No, no, no. Which, which raises also. I mean, the, what what a wrench it must have been, really, to leave the Senate when he left to run for president. Yeah, yeah. I think he reached. The, I think he reached the appropriate conclusion that it was just going to be impossible to do both. Um, and 
course, that sort of created all sorts of of dynamics in Kansas Republican politics, mm. which to this day still mm. exist. Uh, uh, but but uh, he had to make. I think he had to make that. Now, now, mind you, I was watching this from afar. I was not living here at the time. Yeah. Uh, but still interested in it, and it made it, it, it made it made it difficult. Walk us through the nineties. Because he also had a had a pretty formidable opponent as well. Well, yeah. Walk us through the ninety budget deal, I mean, or deals, as as, deals. You, as you point out. Yeah, right? there were deals. Uh, the primary folks from from the administration standpoint were, of course, Sununu was very heavily involved in it. John was, uh, but Darman was sort of the leader. Uh, the Andrews things were going on, and I had two designated folks from my team, one from my House team and one from my Senate team, who were sort of responsible for being out there and staying on top of it. Um, I mean, a, you know, a, I think a, a, a decision had been made at the highest levels that the deficit had to be addressed in some significant way. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that yeah. was a real problem. Yeah, it was a real problem and that we needed to, and remember, I guess this was when we ended up with having all the floors and the ceilings, and, and which actually served us well. In fact, the floor thing served us ex- <laughs> served President Clinton exceptionally well in his first round of, of conflict, first round of, of, uh, of uh, spending issues in the Congress. Uh, it was it was a really it it it, it was it was a deficit issue that also was focusing on making sure that the economy wouldn't like tank. And we had that little dip in 1992, which I think ultimately helped uh, in terms of the president's not being reelected. I think there was a combination of factors, but that was sort of one of the things that helped because they just didn't recover fast enough. And as you know, it recovered, began to show signs of recovery shortly in the 93. Uh, so I think we did a good deal as a result of doing that. Um, had we not had the commitment of Losing the vote when those guys on the House side walked on us. And why did they walk? I can't remember. I cannot remember what. I mean, what was the. I can't remember the, what the sort of burden issue The difference the, between the, the first package and the ultimate package. What were the. What ultimately know. happened in the second package was that we gave in more in terms of, of revenue enhancement. That's what happened. Which is ironic. Which was them. not what we wanted. Which we had, we had a good deal cut. And our guys just decided, or our guys, our, some of our guys on the right, led by Newton, some of the others, was that we're just we we ain't gonna let you have this because it's too much in bed with the Democrats and it's got this tax increases in there and blah 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 blah, but it had all this other good conservative stuff in there as well, and we lost it as a result of having to go back to the table. So we were operating under the assumption, correctly and given the, the sort of indications they had given us. Uh, that we were going to be okay, and then we lost the damn thing in the house, and it was just—it was just heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, it really was, because I mean, it would have been a good way to sort of get that behind us and move on to other things. Now, uh, you know, ultimately we had to go back to the well. So, and then then we blew it by like not calling it what it was. Yeah, uh, I, and I firmly, I'm 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 I'm, I'm strong believer in that, and. In, the, in retrospect, I mean, for us to sort of like not say or to not be clear and say, and you know, this, this all went back to no new taxes. And, 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 and you know, in I've retrospect, always, so it, thank you, Peggy Noonan. 
Well, uh, no, I'm just <laughs> in retrospect, yeah. I mean, you, you sort of you do what you need to do to get elected, but but you've set up a, you know, you, you've set this. That was a bad deal, anyway. Yeah. Ultimately, so. Um, <laughs> I hope you're paying Peggy's taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peggy just did raise. It's all your fault, Peggy. Uh, no, that was so funny because we talk about raising taxes when we when we did tax reform back in the, in the mid '80s. I was on the hill one day having lunch with some of the guys who were some of the staffers who were all engaged, sort of, or a number of whom were engaged in the tax reform effort. And they were going like, "You said, you know, you realize that the people who are going to get hurt by this more than anybody else, those are us in the middle class that are the ones that are trying to get this." To come to effect in the first place, uh, uh, we should have. We should have. Either the president should have like put everything in perspective when we sort of made our statement, which it, you know, either look, you know, and this is a tax, or when I said no new taxes, I was talking about income taxes or something like that, right? So that we could have like fessed up to it, because I think that that began to sort of make it difficult for us. Uh, because we, because it was taxes, and it was a tax increase. And, and I, I'd use the analogy of Ford and the Purden, which God knows he took a hit, yeah. and arguably contributed to his not being reelected. But in the long run, he got credit for taking the hit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And in some ways, Bush would be better, better served. Yeah, yeah. If over like Bloomberg in his first term in New York, I mean, yeah. you do the really hard thing, yeah. you see it through, and you sort of get credit for. Doing, being willing to do the hard See, thing. See, you know, here, here again is that relationship thing, and this is where we caught some heat from our guys on the right. President had a long-standing relationship with Rostenkowski. Yes. And as a result, and Danny at the time was this is before we got in trouble, but Danny at the time was chairman of Ways and Means, and that created a window for us to be able to get something done, uh, 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 of a, uh, in a sense of a deal. I have to ask you because I, I remember once asked Rostenkowski. Well, I was interviewing him. A delightful, delightful oh, he's conversation. A just an amazing guy. man. A I mean, a throwback, but my yes. God, what a! You <laughs> well, know, look it's like what he a living a museum. You know, it's, <laughs> no, it's like you know, if the dinosaurs came back, you you know, you'd want you'd want to be, be around them. Yeah. But anyway, I remember asking Rostkowski this. He, um, he well, he told me he volunteered the fact that at the time of the whatever it was, the '95. Government shutdown. Mm-hmm. The whole those which, by the way, people think like the first one was that we had one. I know. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we had a government <laughs> shutdown during during the Bush years, but nobody, everybody thinks ninety four was the only or ninety five was the only time. Go ahead. He, he said that um, Clinton called him, wanted to get a leg up, wanted to get to tell you know tell me something about Dole, you know that in effect I can mm-hmm. I can use you know, and Rostenkowski said all kinds of nice things. He said, but I tell you one thing. He said he's the most impatient man in the world, and there are days when <laughs> He'll cut a deal just to get out of the room, <laughs> and, and yeah. it must have been torture for Dole to sit there while Gingrich rambled on about you know brave new worlds and and, and, and definers of civilization and and you know I and, agree and you know I mean it just <laughs> must have been yeah because he like he could be he could be he can get frustrated quickly. Because he wants to get a deal done. He wants a government. You know, well, I guess, and, and it's not, when you look at it from that perspective, it is not, I, I don't think it is an issue of I want to be a Wheeler dealer or I, because I'm getting frustrated, will, like, do anything. 
what I think it represents more than anything else is a realistic approach, maybe even pragmatic approach, to governing. I mean, standstill is not good if you want to make progress. Now, you may have disagreement in terms of which, what's progress and what's not progress, depending upon what your political and philosophical leanings might be, but ultimately, uh, uh, the common good, I think, is better served when things sort of move forward. And, and, and you can't move forward if you can't come to some sort of agreement on something. Isn't there an element, too, of let's cut the crap? Right, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just do it. Why, yeah, you I know? mean, we're going to have to cross this bridge. Okay, we, we can either run <laughs> or we can be dragged across it. Uh, you know, if we now, run, that's not the bridge to the 21st century. <laughs> no, it's not the bridge to the No, it's not that one. Yes, no. Uh, but, uh, no, it's a... It's, it's, I think, and again, I think it's sort of like this generational thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I think now there's probably a tendency amongst some politicians, uh, you know, to sort of want to put themselves in this position that, you know, you got to prove you're right and the other guys aren't. And the only way you can prove you're right is by yelling louder or being more starkly different. As opposed to, you know, presenting yourself to the voters uh, as somebody who, you know, these are my things I believe in, and I want to try to get things done, and I'm the guy that, you know. Let me ask you about the, about the Thomas nomination and hearings. Okay. Was uh, was Dole involved uh, in any significant way that? Uh, uh, when it, when it got down to the point where we were counting votes, yes. Uh, when it got down to the point, because remember we had two rounds of hearings in the Thomas nomination, uh, and then when it also got to the point where uh, having to deal with scheduling time on the floor to finally ultimately, you know, because oftentimes we would some, we we'd use him sort of as our go-between, and, or he would insert himself as go-between, which is fine. I mean, it give it gave us some, often you know, but oftentimes gives us give us a position where we could uh, separate ourselves if we needed to separate ourselves. For some political or media reason, uh, was John Danforth critical? Yeah, Jack was the, yeah, to Jack, that. yeah, Jack was the Jack was the sort of like, just like Warren had been for Souter when I did the Souter nomination. Warren Rudman had been for Souter when I did the Souter nomination. Uh, Jack, on the other hand, was sort of like our quarterback and go-to guy on on uh, uh, the uh, Thomas nomination. So. And the fir- and the Gulf War. I Gulf mean, War. Clearly, that I was can't believe I forgot about that one. Uh, now there, you know, needless to say, the leadership was extremely important. We, well, I mean, there's another issue, too, you need to say. There's another major issue that sort of people don't remember, which also was immediately preceding the Gulf War. Um, that's not true. This was immediately after the Gulf War because this happened the same time that the Thomas nomination was going on, that Bob Gates had been nominated to be CIA director. We were having troubles there. And this is a week, by the way, I decided to quit. Uh, (laughs) And the third override attempt of civil rights legislation. There had been a court case which had changed basically the burden of proof uh, in terms of under Title IX cases. And there was an effort to try to change this back. Well, needless to say, it got entitled the Civil Rights Act of 1990, whatever, uh, 1990, which we vetoed three times. Um, and uh, and the and the uh, exp- uh, the justification for the veto? 
being well the justification veto is that it went too far all we wanted to do was revert was to take care of reversing this this burden of proof issue that the court had done in the court decision that's all but it got all this other stuff because once 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 civil rights activists came across a piece of legislation that was dubbed civil rights act and then the democrats in turn tried to i mean just really tried to shove it up us because uh, here you got the president vetoing something that is defined and described as a civil rights act, and all it is is a, a piece of legislation to to uh, uh, shift the burden of proof back. I can't remember the, the the more deep, but that's it. Okay, so now we got Republicans walking the plank, preceding the 1992 elections, all caused by the fact that Democrats are not. Come in, come into the table with us on this issue, and three times. So we have to get the Senate and the House back and forth to sustain. So Bob was very, very. I mean, our leader. When you got twenty-three vetoes, too, you got to have the the support and help of the leadership. And we had twenty-three, like I said, between um, January of eighty-nine and uh, and uh, October of nineteen uh, now, backing up a little bit, here comes the Persian Gulf War. Uh, and uh, the president, we were, we were, this would have been, I guess now, I'm getting my timing right here. This would have been in sort of like the fall of 1990. Uh, because I guess it was in August that the yeah. aggression began, sort of in 1990. And... Uh, you know, we'd, we'd have leadership. I remember the president coming to me. We had a long session during that time frame, too, if I remember correctly. We weren't, we couldn't, we had had a longer time getting the budget stuff done. That's what it was. So people were sort of in late. And I remember us having had a leadership meeting at or about, at or about uh, the latter part of November. And then the president, you know, dragged me into the Oval and basically, you know, inquired, like, you know, can, if I decide that I kind of want to do something about what's happening over in Iraq, I mean, yeah, or Kuwait, uh, you know, like, can we get the votes to, to uh, get approval? Not that I think I need their approval anyway, but... Yeah, because there was that, yeah, that was that... No I mean, president had, believes they need a problem. Yeah, he, he actually had, had made clear that he, he did not believe that there was a legal requirement yeah, right. for him to get right. Senate right. approval. Right, right. Although he'd gone to the United Nations. Well, not yet. Well, no, he hadn't gone yet. Yeah, it was sort of happening at or about okay. the same time. And, of course, you know, you kind of got... All he's asking me is, can I get the vote? And I'm basically saying, no. <laughs> because in November, we could not do it. Uh... And, and I, I, I remember remember saying something to the effect of, well, let's see if you can frame it in the negative and then you veto it and, and then we get we get your vetoes and stay. Maybe. <laughs> because we didn't have we could not do it in November. We could not have done it in November. And this was like mid November and I remember Congress was still in this leadership meeting and that taking place. Now, and if I had talked to Bob, Bob would have told me the exact same thing at that point in time, because we there was just no way we could get there. So, ultimately, we began to build up support for it during sort of the month of December. And the president at Camp David uh, was at Camp David during the holidays. 
and actually drafted the first draft of the uh, resolution that ultimately Congress enacted. He drafted it on his hunt and peck typewriter. He typos. And so I get back, or strike through, you know, double strike things. And uh, so I get back from the Christmas holidays. I'd been in Texas, and I cleaned off my desk, and there was this one envelope on my desk when I got back, which was like, you know, eyes only. So I open it up, and it's a note to me and Sadudu and Scowcroft. And attached there, too, was this kind of first draft. So then we had to get to work. <laughs> and so ultimately we... we uh, we got it drafted in such a fashion, and then and he said we were working with Doe. We were working with those guys then because we knew we were going to need their help, and ultimately uh, we got it. Narrow margin. Very narrow. But, but under the circumstances. Under the circumstances. No, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, we still had some good guys in the Senate then. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of good things I let you go. Be, be, I remember after 92, I'll never forget. I wasn't there, but I saw it on C-SPAN. There was this extraordinary event where the president, this was after the election, and by most accounts he was, you know, not surprisingly feeling kind of down, went up the hill or went to some event that I think it was just the Senate. Maybe it, maybe it was the Senate and the House Republicans. But there was an event that basically he went to and Dole sort of hosted or chaired or whatever. Okay. And it was on television. And you heard these two men speaking about each other. It was clearly from the heart. It wasn't scripted. Um, and it's very sort of, oh, it's authenticity. You know, yeah. I mean, neither one is a, a natural orator. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and, and, and in a way, that made it all the more, you know, more genuine, more impressive. Yeah. But you, you, Dole actually choked up when he talked about how much it had meant working for Bush. And, and you have a sense that uh, that wasn't put on. I mean, neither one of them is that good an actor, too. Correct. You know? And both of them will choke up very good. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. That's true. But, I mean, it was, it was just a very... Bush a little bit sooner than Bob. But very anyway. moving. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it sort of... It was, certainly, it answered my question earlier about what had happened to the relationship. I mean, they, yeah. they not only put 88 behind them, yeah. but, you know... One well, sense has forged a real you know, I, yeah, friendship. I, I, I and, and you know, and then, like I said, a few months later, I'm receiving this phone call. That Dole is already is at where the Houston Livestock Show because it was this would have been two months after that. And hmm. and, and Dole, you know, great. He still can't count votes, uh, but <laughs> no, I think that they developed. I think that that gave that when they again it goes back to their. I think both of their approaches to like governing. And it is, you got to try to get things done. You only have a short time, a short window. You might serve a long time, but you might, you know, maybe short, maybe long, but you only have this, it, it, you, and you, it, if you want to move things in the direction that you want it to go, there's only a short window that you have to do that. It may be four years, it may be eight years, <laughs> it may be 16 years, or whatever the case may be. And I think that they both had an appreciation for that. That goes back to sort of like the generation they were from. And, uh, you, you know, know unless, things- unless, unless one of them had shot the other one's wife or something, I mean, you know, it, it, they, they knew that they had to, like, they, they were the kinds of guys, they are both the kinds of guys that both of them just despise ad hominem kinds of attacks. Uh, both of them appreciate the value of a good argument. 
the tactics of trying to 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 get something accomplished, the deal. Uh, both of them realize that today, who is their bedfellow, may be somebody else the next day. Yeah, and so that that an appreciation for that part of our governing, uh, or our legislating, if you will, uh, uh, they're used to it. Now, maybe this also came from the fact that they were all in the minority for so long. Well, they, but you know what? Let me, let me throw out another, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe off the wall. Okay. Because one other thing that seems to me they share, I don't think they've ever necessarily articulated it, because to do so publicly would generate problems. But in a real sense, it goes back to this notion that they're the kind of conservatives who, okay, they may have healthy skepticism about a lot of what government can do, but they're not the kind of conservatives who see government automatically as the enemy and, and who understand that it would be sort of bizarre for the Republicans to pretend to be the party of government and at the same time take a libertarian view of government. But beyond that, they were also both men who I think were, for generational and cultural and personal reasons, uncomfortable with a lot of the witness tests that were increasingly being imposed upon them. Um, and, and, and were, I mean, I think that discomfort was visible in both cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when Dole in 96, I thought, looked inauthentic, was when he was sort of chasing the sort of conservative caboose, the, uh, particularly the religious right. Um, he might very well vote sincerely with them, but he was, I think, visibly uncomfortable with some of the public uh, gestures that you had to make, particularly to the extent that they were excluding other people who, you know, who, who, might, who might not agree. I mean, there's a sense that the Republican Party was undergoing, in the wake of Ronald Reagan, fundamental internal change. Some of it was generational, some of it was ideological, a lot of it was cultural. And that Bush and Dole, for lots of reasons, including generational, and the fact that they'd been, you know, in the house, and they'd been doers, and they were pragmatists and problem solvers, mm-hmm. found themselves in positions of power, but but really having to certainly address, take seriously, and in some cases um, defer to the new sort of emerging cultural forces within the Republican Party, and I'm not sure they were comfortable with that. I'm not sure that um, when I said they weren't good actors. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's probably there's probably some, uh, I think there was some of that going on. Uh, well, the, the broader issue, I think, is beyond their discomfort, yes, I think there was major stuff going on in the party during that time frame. Um, and it had been, you know, there was there was a part of that that we had to deal with in the Senate, the steering committee, or the, no, the Republican Study Committee. One of them, I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was, you know, Malcolm Wallop and some of those guys, um, uh, as opposed Malcolm Wallop. I'm trying to think who else was sort of in that bunch. Malcolm was in it. Maybe Steve Sims was in it. I mean, maybe some a of the John guys East or a. Uh, yeah. I mean, was, although I, you know, no. I keep hearing that Jesse was. That Jesse was more pragmatic than, than you would have thought. That Jesse could be... If he can get together with Bono, I mean, get... <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
But you sort of had the steering committee stuff going on. And, in that, and, and, and I don't want to leave this guy out of this equation as well. One of the other, just like Vice President Bush was very helpful to President Reagan, <clears throat> Vice President Dan Quayle was very helpful to hmm. President George Bush. I often sent him on missions. Uh, there was, and for example, this group was one of those groups where Dan was very, very comfortable dealing with them. He had real uh, credibility with them. Yes, he did. And Dan also uh, was a straight shooter when it turned when it when it when it came to reporting back what it was that we may or may not need to do, or so. Because I mean, you know, if you could it, losing those six or seven guys, you know, or eight guys was one of those things where it got to be very, very important when you're trying to like sustain a veto. Or you're trying to put the hobble together something that's going to uh, win the approval of, of, of the Congress, and so those guys were sort of like maybe the how do I define this? Those guys were sort of like, in one sense, the harbinger of what was happening in terms of the newts and those guys of the world who yeah. were coming along. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, whether it's a Lindsey Graham or Jim DeMant or some of those guys who are now sort of once House members, now Senate members, yeah. uh, and sort of replacing some. You know, it makes it an interesting experience for the Lugers and the Hatches and the Bob Doles and the George Bushes of the world because of sort of like the way the party, and I mean George Bush the elder, uh, the, the way the party has sort of moved. Uh, it has become, the country, though, I believe, has become so, and again, this goes back to, the, the the amount of information those of us who are junkies or those of us who are not junkies but at least who listen have access to uh, has created an environment where I think we've sort of become like polarized and we're so polarized right sort of down the middle that everybody's sort of trying to fight for whatever space there's left in that middle. That makes it difficult to get anything done. It's interesting because I asked Mondale um, when he was sort of waxing nostalgic mm-hmm. about the more civil Senate in the good old days, you know. I knew him when he was a senator, or knew of him when he was a well, senator, excuse me. <laughs> and I wondered, and in fact, I mean, he, I, I said, you know, how much difference did it make to that kind of civility or personal interaction or whatever that 30 years ago you had two parties, one was broadly liberal, but it had a conservative wing. It had all those Southern Democrats that you you that you at <laughs> that least I courted, had to that you know, I it. and then and there was a Republican <laughs> Party that had a significant moderate to liberal urban right. Northeast That's Midwest right. wing, yeah. and so first of all the parties had to find some kind of internal harmony, or you know or at least a working relationship with yeah. their own with themselves, yeah. you know which which maybe bred uh, you know this this ability or appreciation or or recognition of the need to. To pursue, uh, you know, um, something like that with the other side. Um, what worries me about the Republican Party now is that we have, and this goes back to this whole thing of what was happening during the '80s and or, or Bob in 1996. Um, we've sort of gone through this transition in the party. When Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980, the transformation had sort of begun. Now we got all these states in the South, for example, that used to be represented by conservative Democrats, the Stennises, and those guys of the world, who are now all pretty reliably Republican. And I think this all stems 
from the Reagan election. Likewise, we had guys like, at that time, Bennett Johnston's, John Bros from Louisiana, uh, 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 David Board in Oklahoma, and some of those guys who, and, and, and Sam Nunn to some extent in, uh, in Georgia, uh, were those kinds of guys that we often had to go to, the conservative pod of the broadly liberal, liberal Democrat Party, to sort of make up for losing the Jim Jeffords and mm. those guys in the Northeast primarily who were sort of like our moderate to liberal wing. What has happened is that we're almost all, at least on the Republican side, mm. it's almost to the point where it has become homo homogeneous. Yeah. That's what worries me about the, and, and that's not the kind of party that Bob Dole or George Bush as chairs of the RNC, mm. as early guys, uh, uh, but as national leaders in the Republican Party. Uh, and that's not what a Goldwater envisioned. Hmm. And I frankly don't think that's what a, what, a, what a Ronald Reagan envisioned. That's what it's sort of become. Hmm. And again, I think that's, that's, that's a result of this need to be publicly competitive for mindshare, ultimately votes. Again, the, the dangers of logic. You know, because for a long time people said, well, the logical thing is to have a liberal party and a conservative party. I tell people, great, you got what you asked for. Are that's you right. happy? That's right, is because it'll, it'll change. And as a result, you know, that's why we have a situation now, for example, as we speak for the 2008 Senate elections, where we have to worry about a Norm Coleman in Minnesota or a Gordon Smith in, in uh, 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 Oregon or a John Sununu in New Hampshire. Now we got some other factors, or Susan Collins in Maine. We're not mm -hmm. a sort of normal circle. We got other factors yeah, going yeah, on that exactly. are contributing to that. Yeah. But the party has sort of put us in a position where we're having to vote and stand for or against things that don't necessarily meld. And so it is not as big tent as. Yeah we would like to make it out And on to top be. of that, you have the Club for Growth at all. Yes. Who would be perfectly content to knock off. That's right. Ersatz Republicans. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we, we, uh, unless you can be as pure as we think purity needs to be defined, we don't need you. And I, 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 will, I, will, I will never, I, this, was, this was a weird experience. As I said, I moved back to Texas in 92, and in preparation for the 92 uh, convention, I actually ran for delegate, which is a really weird thing. It was the first time I'd ever done any grassroots thing like that. And, uh, you know, it was one of these things where in the Q&A session, folks wanted to know how I felt about abortion. And my deal was, who cares how I feel about abortion? I want to be a George Bush delegate. And I'm, you know, I question me after the fact that I have, like, you know, been slaving in the vineyards for three years for this guy. And it matters not how I feel about abortion. And that's, you know, that's sort of one of those issues that has defined us. Uh, and, and I think it's, you know, one of those issues that, that and I say this, you know, with Henry Hyde having passed away a couple mm -hmm. of days ago, he was a great, great, great American, yeah. great congressman, yeah. uh, who also sort of came from that mold. And, and Henry was, Henry was a, it's a great contributor to a lot of things. I mean, he's most known for that, but he was a, he was a, he was a great guy when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Just wonderful. Anyway, um, 
I, I think that definitional thing and the purity thing is going to sort of, so maybe we're going through a transformation again. I, I don't know is. what the Democrats are doing yet. I haven't yeah. figured that out yet. Yeah. But I think Republicans are going through a transformation again. And, and the question is, will there be room at the table for folks who aren't yeah. like, and, and that I think is sort of one of those intangibles in this upcoming election. And it may very well take one or more major defeats mm-hmm. for people to, to be sort of knocked into yeah. <laughs> pragmatism or, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one last thing, because yes. we ask a lot of people this. What, you know, people all talk about the legend of Lyndon Johnson, the overpowering, you know, force that he was. And, and I remember talking to Dole about Mansfield. He said, well, you know, it's, it's a lot easier when you got 67 votes, you know. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's time to screw up, you know. But, I mean, he created admirer of Mansfield, yeah. but, I mean, yeah. you know, it's a lot easier to do the job. <laughs> it is. What, I guess, I, what are the carrots and what are the sticks, if any, that Dole had, um, at least when you were, you know, around observing him? Um, and how many of the, and what were institutional or personal? I don't know that I can answer that. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is more personal than it was institutional. I mean, it's not like Bob could, you know, go move somebody's office and make them be in the basement of the courtyard as opposed to, you know, having their hideaway. Could or, Could Lyndon Johnson have done that in the 50s? Uh Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, mean, I would say I, I would just, say he probably, or at he least could've. he would think he could, whether he, he was able to or not. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. probably a, a, another <laughs> another deal. Uh, you know, you know there's not perks that you can take away, really. Um, uh, you know, there's sort of that period of time when you got committee assignments and stuff going on. Now, you know, one of the things you can do, though, and I guess maybe, and I can't remember whether Bob ever did this or not, but, you know, although maybe we did. You could sort of like, if the chairman has, or the ranking member or the chairman has not been a good boy, uh, basically go around him, uh, take issues, and make them sort of committees that you hobble together, which threaten the jurisdiction Hmm. of somebody. And, I, and I'm, I can't remember whether we ended up doing that in tax reform or not. I mean, there was a role that the Finance Committee played, needless to say, with Packwood, but you had the budget piece with Domenici, and you had some mm. other stuff going on mm. that had to be taken into consideration. So there were occasionally some issues that fell into the category of, of like that. Uh, you know, as he, was he ever in a position, uh, as Nancy Pelosi is being accused of being right now, as being like really the only one running the train? Uh, and no, I don't think he was at that point. <clears throat> and again, it may go to the fact that they didn't have sixty-seven, didn't have sixty-seven votes. Um, but uh, the 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 institution, you know, about the only other thing beyond that is is you know whether or not somebody's going to be protected on a vote. Uh, whether or not someone, which is an institutional thing, uh, whether or not you know somebody's hold on a nomination is or is not going to stick, uh, 
yeah, you could do some things to folks, but it's almost after the fact instead of before the fact. Uh, like, you know, I can make sure that this vote's going to be held during the time frame. <laughs> you know, you can do those kinds of things, but you have to be really pretty vindictive to, to get to that point. Uh, so. Are there carrots? Yeah, the flip side of that. Yeah, I will protect okay. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Schedule. Will, I, I, will, I, will, yep. I will do a scheduling thing, or yeah. yeah, I'll go to the White House for you, or yeah, I'll call up somebody in one of the departments or agencies for you if you really, really think you need to get this done. Mm. Or, uh, you know, I will, <clears throat> you know, I'll make sure that this gets stuck in this bill, another version of earmark, not really an earmark, but just some provision gets stuck in because I'm going to be able to use, because X recipient is going to be able to use this in some reelection effort. Yeah. So yeah, there, and I know it's already sort of fall into institutional, right. but because as, as I mean, like it or not, deals get done. Deals get done to get deals done. Uh, and, you know, some of the deals that I was involved in to get somebody to vote 99 times out of 100 had absolutely nothing to do with the substance of the issue. It was a fact that we were at a point where we were over a barrel. And the lead, the individual knew that we were over a barrel. And so whether that's judges, U.S. attorneys, <laughs> Airplane rides, uh, presidential appearances, uh, whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, there were probably times when Bob called and communicated those messages on behalf of others. So that's the deal to get the deal. Mondale told me the wonderful story during the Panama Canal treaties. Oh, gosh. There was, <laughs> who was it on the Republican side? I mean, some, someone who was, oh, S.I. Hayakawa. Oh, okay? S.I. <laughs> Hayakawa um, ran up and down California, coined the phrase, you know, we stole it, it's ours, you know, so on so on. No way you're going to get his vote. Uh, Mondale comes up with this idea, brokers this idea. First, he has to run it by, by obviously, the president. He said, well, look, Senator, you can really help us, you know, so on so on. No, no. Um, would you even consider it? Uh, he said, I'll tell you something about your boss. You know, He's getting lousy advice. He's not listening to the people. He's isolated, et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of thing. Mondale, <laughs> I know. Well, how about if, if, if we could initiate an ongoing you know, relationship where you could, you, know, you could give the president the benefit of your advice and so on, so on. So anyway, he calls Carter. And says, you know, and he says, you know, and yeah, he says, you know, would you be willing to do this? And Carter, contrary to the image of a non, he says, yeah, that's fine. Let's set up, you know, we could set something up and so on and so on. And so Mondale slowed down. He goes back to Hayakawa. And so Hayakawa gets on the phone with the president. And, you know, they set up an appointment. That's fine. He said, now, let's, you know, let's do this every two weeks. And, and, And Carter. Quick as a, you know, Carter says, no, 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 let's not do that because it, sometimes we might want to meet more often than that. Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> and Hayakawa falls for the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. And did they get his they, vote? They have, their, they, have, they have their one meeting. They get his vote. I think that was for the end of the uh, uh, advisory role. Isn't that a great, I mean. That is a great story. That is a great story. <laughs> Uh, I have a similar one with a member of the United States Senate who all he needed was he just wanted to ride on the airplane with President Reagan to California. He'd never done it. 
We orchestrated it. Yeah. It was on the Caribbean Basin Initiative in the middle of tax reform because <laughs> we had to stop and do that. CBI was in the middle of it, in the middle of tax reform markup, and we had a tie vote, and we needed to get beyond the tie, and a certain member got a ride. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a vote. And, and, got, and, got, and we take, won. And got taken for a ride. God rest his soul. <laughs> Last but thing, those uh, are the small things. No, well, you know. But, you know, you also have some, some other difficult things where, for example, you sort of make deals like that and guys suffer from it. Slade Gordon was one, for example, who suffered from a deal as a result of, I think, a judicial nomination that he wanted that we were really, really not being very good about doing, and uh, we ultimately, he ultimately got it, and it ultimately caused significant problems for him in getting reelected. So he had to sit out a while, and then he came back. Anyway, he got reelected eventually, but it was after waiting a term. What, what do you think is Dole's sort of place in history? What's his? You know, how do you think he he ought to be remembered? You know, I think I think not unlike, uh, although he never became president. Uh, you know, I think he ultimately should be remembered similarly to to others of his generation, like President Bush, uh, who who grew up with the party during a time frame that they were willing to sort of do the things that, not because of ambition individually on their own part. But to do the kinds of things that uh, uh, advance the cause, and Bob did them all. I mean, I mean, as a practical matter, uh, uh, on sort of the political side, uh, you know, party chair, served in the House, served in the Senate, ran for vice president, ran for president, uh, uh, and 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 toiled in the vineyards uh, as a true soldier, not unlike his service. To the country, uh, before he became a member of Congress, I'm, I'm, I'm awful happy he didn't keep practicing law in the state of Kansas uh, <laughs> upon his return. Even though he was doing it for the greater good of the people of the great state of Kansas, uh, I think he has served uh, he has served them immeasurably, uh, and has even served the folks in the country even more so uh, because of his willingness to do the right thing and a man of his word. And an individual who, uh, despite what would seemingly be insurmountable odds because of his personal physical disability, uh, uh, basically uh, has overcome what would have, under normal circumstances, caused somebody, uh, caused someone to absolutely uh, fade away into the sunset. I think probably one of the greatest the greatest challenges now is to, you know, figure out a way how you can keep, as long as he's healthy and able to give, uh, how you can, can keep uh, getting some of that goodness from him. And and I worry about him, in the sense of, uh, as I as I joked about earlier, when he's not busy and not balancing bouncing around a lot of a lot of uh, balancing a lot of things, sort of like, you know. Does he remain? Yeah, and and that, and that, and that's that's that because it's so hard when these guys leave, particularly when this has sort of been their lives. 
uh, it is so hard, I think, for them. You to can't retire. Their, yeah. They and so, so the question is, what kind of things can they still do so that they can still contribute? Because notwithstanding the generations that he that that he's from, he still has a lot to contribute. Well, more than that, I mean, and time's been good to Dole. He yes. he's become sort of a national grandfather. Yeah. He he's the face of the World War II generation. Yeah. You know that memorial yeah. will always be there. Yeah. Um, and in an odd way, he's become sort of this pop culture, you know, with the advertisements and, and everything oh, else. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean. <laughs> I forgot and, about and, that for right. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> you know. No, so, so I, I, and, and, you know, and, 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 and particularly, you know, since Elizabeth's still in the public eye, it, 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 it sort of keeps him there. Yeah. And so. Um, well, this this thing he recently did with uh, the VA hospitals. That's right. With Donna Shalala, right. which was a perfect was example. uniquely, and, and I'm so glad the president reached out to him because Bob was uniquely qualified to make that kind of a contribution. Yeah. Uh, and, and he provided cover. Uh, I mean, well, credibility. There are and lots cover. of other things he did. <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, uh, yeah. at a, at, you know, I mean, it was a, yeah. it was the perfect right selection. Right. Right. And, and the president, by, you know, by making it bipartisan help because Donna was, you know. But from our former days, but and I guess they really got it got on very they, well. I bet they I did. They, yeah, they. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, uh, and I guess they had gotten to know each other. Frankly, you think about it with the role that she had in the, in HHS at the beginning of the Clinton administration, before Doe ran against Clinton, and again, sort of some of the healthcare kinds of things well, that were going on. You know, so they could, and when 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 Doe <laughs> said, you know, where's the outrage? Yeah, Donna Shalala was the outrage, you know, <laughs> inside the Clinton cabinet. I mean, by all accounts, I mean yeah. it was it's interesting yeah, it dynamic. Is. It is, but I can see the them in it all. I just hope you know, and 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 then on top of all those things, sacrifice, uh, leadership, uh, pragmatic, uh, party loyalist, uh, even during some of those changing times that the party was going through hmm. uh, during that time frame. Folks will also appreciate the warmth of his sharp, often biting wit that sometimes cuts both ways, but you can always count on him to. to you know, my my biggest worry about him, when he, particularly when he was running for president, was that he was going to say one of those things that would come out wrong, and, and that it would would make things worse than than they were. But he was he's he's. Uh, I think you know it's in a curious sort of way. I think he went to the other extreme. Particularly ninety six, I think he became so cautious in yeah. some ways, lest yeah. that yeah. happen. Yeah, because as we all know, he can do it or oh, yeah. could do it. Yeah, uh, and without even scripting. <laughs> but, well, he's a but funny but man. He's a funny man. That's and, what I'm saying. And, 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 I said, so I said the and a particular kind. Yeah. He has a sense of the ridiculous. Yes, which in <laughs> politics, as Adlai Stevenson showed, a very different kind of wit, but the same uh, sort of. He's he's obviously a participant, but he's also an observer. Yeah, and he sort of steps back and he sees the ridiculousness of what <laughs> what is going on, and it can get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, he was he 